It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, Kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we are going to have our week six mailbag episode where we get to be joined by producer Tyler. And one of the questions that we have to ponder is which one of our teams is going to have the better record? Because as you might know, Notre Dame started as a top five team and Oklahoma started as a top six team. And so now at OU Texas week, we're both going, hey, maybe you should just ask us on Sunday what that looks like. But first, I want to talk about these vacant power five jobs in the sport as we are approaching just the first week of October. A lot of people are getting already in line to try to go shopping for the next head coach at their power five program. What I find interesting about this is that the jobs that are open now are not necessarily the most desirable, but we've seen some great coaches do a lot more with a lot less. A lot of folks thought that Mike Elko was crazy to leave his post as the defense coordinator at Texas A&M to be the head coach at Duke. He began the season three and zero and had a really great game with Kansas, which leads me to Lance Leipold who took a job that most people believed was beneath him. And frankly, that Kansas was going to be a doormat forever in football. He said, no, I think that we have something here. And inside of just 15 months, he has the Jayhawks off to their best start since 2009. And with a win on Saturday, can have the Jayhawks at 6-0 for the first time since 2007. You'll know the last time that that happened, Kansas finished the season 12-1 in the Orange Bowl and number 7 in the AP Final Bowl. Again, I'm going to keep shouting it out because he's right about it. Producer Tyler was like, hey, I think this is an 07 season. And I'd say, hey, show me a top 10 Kansas Jayhawks football team. And that's exactly where we are heading. But Leipold came from Wisconsin Whitewater, right? And we know that that is not an FBS program. And it had really looked past jobs in the FCS. But shout out to Danny White, who hired him on at Buffalo. Shout out to Travis Goff, who hired him on at Kansas. Good football coaches are everywhere, just as I tell you all the time. They're great players at all levels of the sport. It's about situation, fit, and did you quit? long as you have that last one, you can have an opportunity to be great. Now, as I said all of that, and those three men are, I should say, Mike Elko's probably going to stay put. Lance Leipold's name is going to keep being mentioned for every job that's vacant now because people are looking at what he did at Kansas and thinking, if you can do it at Kansas, you can do it anywhere, which may or may not be true. But also... Because these jobs that we're looking at could go to an HBCU coach like Deion Sanders. And the reason I'm bringing up Deion Sanders here now before we get into my top five 
list as it relates to these jobs that are not open, these five jobs that are open, I'm going to rank them for you, is because Deion Sanders made a really great point in his SWAC media day, or I should say his SWAC teleconference call for week six, in which he said this is the first time that he believes, and I think he's right, that this has happened to an HBCU football coach. As a matter of fact, the quote that he gave was, I think this may be the first time historically that a black man has been mentioned in that aspect at the rate that we've been mentioned ever. I'm happy. I'm elated that colleges would feel as though I got it, and he does. What I got a problem with is y'all trying to give this man a job that I think is relatively hard when he could just stay at Jackson State because they're doing what he asked them to do, and they are looking like they're going to run the table undefeated and win the Black College Football National Championship to say nothing of maybe even being one of the top 10 teams in the sport in FCS. And that's not without nothing. But you're also getting a lot more when you want to hire on a guy like Deion Sanders. And frankly, I don't think that every Power 5 job that comes open is one that he should be pursued or he should pursue and one that you should put his name in for. Because I'm starting to think, do y'all want that man to succeed or you just want him to be your head coach? Okay. So let's talk about the five openings in the Power 5. And let's go through my list of how I rank those five openings in the Power Five from coaches that have been let go. Let us start with number five. Take a look here. I got Georgia Tech first there, right, at number five. Georgia Tech being a program that is in Atlanta, which is a positive. You can recruit the hell out of Georgia if you're not at Georgia Tech, okay? So the problem Georgia Tech has is that it's what I think Notre Dame would be if Notre Dame was in Atlanta. You have very high academic standards, more power to you. Great engineering school. But you've also been playing football forever, and you haven't been good very often because you are absolutely in a fight for every single recruit ever. Case in point here, when I said Notre Dame, do you know where one Kyle Hamilton is from? Little place called Atlanta, Georgia. Do you know who's in the backyard there? Georgia Tech. You know where he went? Notre Dame. Okay? You know that Justin Fields is from the Georgia area. Right? He ends up not at Georgia Tech, at Georgia. You know that Trevor Lawrence is from the Georgia area. He ended up not at Georgia Tech, at Clemson. You know that Kirby Smart is going to get whatever he wants because the city of Atlanta bends toward the Bulldogs when we're talking about college football and the Dirty Falcons whenever we're talking about anything else. When it comes to a fight between the Falcons and the Saints, I end up rooting for the Saints because I was raised in Hattiesburg. And you understand if you were a Saints fan or a Falcons fan that I've just made an enemy. But all to say, I don't know that this is a great job to take. It's difficult to recruit there. You're also playing the ACC, and you're going to be head up against Florida State, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Clemson. I could go on, right? It's just tough there. Number four on the list for me, Colorado. You'll know that Jeff Collins being fired at Georgia Tech. Carl Durrell gets fired at Colorado after a start that has seen the Buffaloes winless. What I find remarkable about this is that I thought he would get more time. I thought he would have an opportunity to try to do it his way for more than just the one year, or I should say the two years, because it comes in 2020 late, and then they seem to have something cooking where they were competitive against Texas and Alamo Bowl. And then 2021 doesn't go well, and certainly they haven't started off well with Colorado, but I'm also going, what did you expect, Colorado? Okay? No disrespect. No disrespect. This is just facts. You ain't won a, a conference championship of any kind in 21 years, and you've got one national championship to your credit, 1990. Outside of that, we really got to work hard. We got to work hard to see anything like a good Colorado uh, Buffaloes football team. And you know what? When they were good, 
Joel Klatt was quarterback, and Vince Young was also quarterback at Texas. You, you, no disrespect, right? One of those dudes, one of the greatest college football players of all time. The other, one of the greatest college football analysts of all time, okay? You haven't had another Joel Klatt come through in there in a while, and I dare say you might never get a Vince Young because Colorado just hasn't been that place. You're going to have to give a guy like Carl Durrell or someone else enough time to establish a culture in which they can recruit around and develop their kind of players because I think the ceiling for them is an Iowa State, right? Or even in Iowa where you can play for conference championships on a routine basis, but nobody but nobody expects you to compete for national championships. You got to be comfortable with that. And if you're going to fire a guy like Carl Durrell, who won't you fire? Then number three on the list for me is Arizona State. They fire Herm Edwards. That went bad as soon as we found out that they were going to be hit with some NCAA violations that would affect their ability to recruit and or play football. It got even worse as they put money in the bag against Eastern Michigan in a game that you frankly just can't lose. What I find really ridiculous about all of this is the way in which Herm Edwards was let go. Man was fired before he could get to the locker room. That ain't, that's no way to treat anybody. I mean, I know we make jokes about Lane Kiffin, but I didn't feel good about that either when he was fired inside a building on the tarmac. There's a level of decorum that you need to have when you are dealing with public figures. And if we're going to say, as our man Joel Klatt has, that the most important hire that you're going to make for your university is the football coach, people are going to look at how you treat that football coach when it's not going well. It's not enough to just throw a bag of money at them and say, out the door. It's more, especially at that rate, it's less about money as a, as a way of living and more about keeping score. So you have a high buyout because you want to keep the job, not because you want a golden parachute because you're going to do a bad job. And even so, being willing to pay a guy like Carl Durrell $8.7 million, and who knows how much, I want to say closer to $11 million, for a guy like Herm Edwards, what message are you sending to your alumni? You know, if somebody got it, they got it. But at one point or another, you're going to have to find a better way to do this. And I understand everybody wants to get in front of the hiring cycle, but not everybody's going to be able to do what Mike Bone did at USC. Okay. Next on this list for me is obviously Nebraska, right? I say obviously because we haven't got to one yet. But Nebraska is an outstanding football job. It's an outstanding football job because of the tradition that it has close by and also because it has a fan base that is second to none. They're bad, folks. They're awful. They're nowhere near the kind of team I thought they would be. And most people believe that they were going to lose by at least five touchdowns to Oklahoma at home. And they sold out the stadium. The place was full for a bad Nebraska team to get dunked on by what is a mid-Oklahoma team with an interim head coach who also happens to be the first black coach of any sport in Nebraska football or, excuse me, Nebraska athletics history. Trev Albert, more power to him, did a really kind thing that I think Josie did with Brent Venables early in the year. When Mickey Joseph got his first win against Indiana last week, he made sure to give the game ball to Mickey Joseph. Perhaps that's the guy. But knowing that you're willing to pay a guy like Scott Frost $15 million to go away in September, that's a tough gig, man. And you're in the Big Ten, which still makes them feel like strangers to me. It almost feels like Nebraska doesn't know whether they're supposed to be in this conference or not. But you're going to get enough funding and enough people behind you to make that job pretty outstanding if you get it run in the right direction. Problem with that is Nebraska can't recruit the way that it did in the 90s or the 80s. There's no more partial scholarships for you to hand out. There's no more Prop 49 for you to, or Prop 48 for you to use. There, you can't just go down to Texas and get guys because you're not going to play Oklahoma, Texas, or teams in Texas every year anymore. 
you're going to play teams in, my goodness, California, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois. That's not a place to Indiana. You're not used to recruiting that way and recruiting those areas and bringing those kids in. Quite frankly, the best college, or excuse me, the best high school football played is in Texas, Georgia, Florida, California, and then Ohio. So you get one of those within your conference base. It's not, a, it's not an easy job. Somebody's going to take it, and I think it's a good job, but not anybody's going to take it. Then number one on the list for me is Wisconsin. Wisconsin has proven that they can play for Big Ten championships. As a matter of fact, they felt like that's all that's left to do is to beat an Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game or Michigan in the Big Ten game or Michigan State and then get into the college football playoff because they've been very close here in years past. You're going to be able to recruit well. You're going to have an outstanding alumni base and fan base behind you. But I don't think that job is actually open. <laughs> I think the reason that Paul Chris got fired is, one, they're losing more games than they're winning, right? But also because everybody knows that Jim Leonard has been doing an outstanding job as the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin since he got there, and that somebody is going to throw a bag of money at Jim Leonard in this hiring cycle to try to get him to a Colorado and Arizona State at Georgia Tech or Nebraska. So you decided, hey, we're going to make a, a business decision here. We're going to let Paul Chris go, and we're going to give this team to the most talented coordinator on the staff and see what he can do with seven games left to play. Because in that way, you're either going to pay Jim Leonard to be one of the highest paid defense coordinators in the country at about two and a half, three million dollars, or you're going to pay Jim Leonard to be your head coach at about four to five million dollars. I think that's just a cost saving measure by elevating someone to a job that they haven't shown that they can do at a time when it's still cheap for you for them to do the same amount of work. Capitalism at its best right there. Jim Leonard, I think, is going to do a great job. He's also doing a really awesome job of keeping a lid on what could be an even more volatile and emotional situation. If you're following social at all, you'll see that there are a number of former Wisconsin players who had some things to say about Paul Chris being let go. They didn't like it, and it was nobody's fun decision to make. And Jim Leonard's done a great job of just saying, hey, we got some emotional guys here, and my job is to remind them that we love them, that Coach Chris put us in a place to where we could do this. And in some ways, they feel responsible for Coach Chris being let down. But, uh, hey, man, there's $7 million over there to make him feel a little bit better, even though it feels like this was the wrong way to do it. I don't see another way in which you're going to see Jim Leonard be your head coach without paying him a lot more money. I understand that one. So that's the way that I see it. Those are, as I rank them, the five jobs that are open. Which ones are best for you, for your program? We'll see, right? But... I think Wisconsin is going to be in a good spot. I think Nebraska is going to figure it out. I think Arizona State, my goodness, a, a tremendous alumni base. And frankly, with USC and UCLA leaving the Big 12, excuse me, Big 12, the Pac-12 conference, you get to say, cool, we get to try to keep a lid on Arizona. We get to try to recruit Southern California. So the B. John Robinsons, Mark Andrews, and Spencer Rattlers of the world, all from Arizona, don't leave us, right? And then there's Georgia Tech. I just, man, that's, that's just tough. It's tough. All right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Priceline. That is how I see those uh, those coaching jobs. I want to bring in now producer Tyler to get to your questions, your observations as we head into week six mailbag and uh, probably coalesce about our fighting Irish and our Sooners. Happy to be here, RJ. Thanks for having me on. And like you mentioned, we're going to be talking a little bit about Notre Dame and Oklahoma. And for this occasion, I had to wear the colors. I don't normally do it uh, at work except on Saturdays, but I made a special occasion for today. But first, it's Oklahoma, Texas week. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah, and I thought this was a good time to throw out one of my own mailbag questions, which seemed to be working uh please continue to send us your mailback questions at number one show on the twitters facebook instagram tiktok on tiktok and what i asked was which team will end the season with the better record uh well excuse me that's i'm getting ahead of myself what i asked was what's the best ou texas game of the last 20 years and i got some interesting responses but uh as always i love to see what producer tyler pulls out so producer tyler what was the first response you got well, there's plenty to choose from. I appreciate everyone for chiming in. I, I had to go through a lot, but honestly, there's been so many good games. So a lot of different responses. The first one, though, this one comes from Darren, who says, two years ago, Radler gets pulled before halftime, then comes back and lights it up. Darren is referring to the 2020 Oklahoma-Texas game for overtime classic. RJ, what are your memories from that one? Losing my mind, which has come naturally uh, one and has been part of the OU Texas rivalry for it feels like the last 20 years, but that was really what stood out to me too. As much as we talk about Caleb Williams and he was dynamic in that game. It's also the first time that Lincoln Riley had benched a starting quarterback at Oklahoma. And I want to say the first time he benched a starting quarterback during the game in his career as a play caller and as a head coach and for Rattler to keep his head after being sat down, come back in and win that game in four overtimes for the Sooners. Uh, I, I, I think I'm going to hold on to that one for uh, a, very, a very long time. But no, excuse me, not four overtimes. Last year, 2020 was four overtimes. Last year, he simply needed to come in and win the game. I got that right, Tyler? Yeah, 2020 was the four overtime right. classic. We right. had two, well, we had a blocked field goal in the third overtime. Oklahoma blocked the click blocked the kick, and then Oklahoma had a chance to win it and just completely shanked it. But that was a great one. Let's move on to our next response. This one comes from Ron F., who says, last year broke Texas hearts. Yeah, this is the one where I'm also getting ahead of myself because uh, Oklahoma scored 25 in the fourth quarter, and I believe Texas could only muster seven in the fourth quarter. Uh, also, the, still the same game where Rattler comes in to lead them back. I just... I don't know that we're going to see another football game like that one uh, this year, but certainly one that I will remember for a very long time. Without a doubt. I remember where I was jumping off the couch watching that game, and Caleb Williams sort of stole the show when he came in in that one. It wasn't just the way that he led that charge for Oklahoma. It was the the throws he was making, and he's a true freshman, obviously a big-time recruit, came in, made some unbelievable throws. Also, we, we should point out that Texas cornerbacks just refused to make a play on the ball at any point in that game. It was unbelievable. So that was an awesome game. All right, our next one, this one comes from Straight Shooter. Uh, I'm assuming Straight Shooter was a Texas fan because he says, 2008, and I was there. Shipley. That one I remember, 45-35 uh, to the Longhorns. And what really gets under the skin of Texas fans that I hold dear, uh, I will withhold names at this time, 
is that they believe they were the team that should have been playing in the national championship against Florida and not the Oklahoma Sooners. But, hey, don't lose to Texas Tech. That's what we got. Don't lose to Texas Tech. Lose to Texas. But we don't play Texas. We play Oklahoma. Still, the way that game went, I just wanted DeMarco Murray to be healthy and wanted to see what we could do against Urban Meyer's Florida Gators team. But, yeah, that one's going to stick for a very long time. It's also the day that I found out that Jordan Shipley was a dude and I was no longer <laughs> was no longer on team What's this? What, what's what's the skinny white dude doing over here? Just going all over and up and down my defense. What is this? What's happening here? But yes, George Shipley ends up being a, a dude. And I also learned that Colt McCoy is also a dude. And of course, they end up being the team that represents uh, against Alabama in the next national championship game. Uh, really one that defines the rivalry, I think, because both of those teams were at their peak. Exactly. Two, I think. I think they're both in the top five. If they weren't in the top five, I think Texas might have been six. Oklahoma was ranked one. Two great quarterbacks, that one, Colt McCoy, Sam Bradford. A shootout, just like it always is. And I had to go back and watch the highlights of that one. It's just like, man, every year these two teams play an awesome game. Uh, Our last response, this one comes from Aaron Woodard, who decided to completely neglect the question. And rather than picking his favorite one game, he picked four, including the 2021, 2002, 2008, in 2018, so we've already talked a little bit about 2021 and 2018. What do you remember from that 2002 or the 2008 game that really sticks out to you? Oh, man, the 08 game is when the high-scoring offense was no longer just Oklahoma, right? But it's also the Bradford year because we didn't know that Sam Bradford was going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. That's the one that sticks out to me. The 02 one, that just made me think of Brent Venables and that defense because at that time, between 99 and basically 2004 until, you know, Matt Leinert, Reggie, and that Trojan team destroyed us with 55. The moniker that Oklahoma had was one of defensive prowess, right? Like, I believe it's 0-2 is also Superman game, right? So Roy Williams coming over the top to knock the ball loose from Chris Sims, and that's how you win the game with Teddy Lehman picking up that and running back in the end zone. That's the defense, right? And that's how good those defenses were. It wasn't until about six years later that we have, you know, this onslaught of offense in the Big 12, which, again, was Nebraska's conference, right, where you ran the football and you played defense. You know, it wasn't until much later that Mike Leach brought in an air raid in, I want to say, 2000, 99, with Josh Heupel, and then you got to see a little bit of what that would look like, and then Kevin Wilson, who's now the offense coordinator, quarterback's coach, not quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator, I want to say tight end's coach at Ohio State because Corey Dennis is quarterback's coach was able to really get that offense up and going. And I'd sworn them. That's where my memories are really forged because I'm in college then. <laughs> and it matters in a different way than it does when you're in high school or middle school. Cause you go to school with those guys, but that's what I remember about Oh two and Oh eight. And then 2018 is just another wild game. But uh, 2019 is the one that sticks out to me because that's the one where Sam Ellinger, I got, think got sacked nine times. And Jalen Hurts uh, had an outstanding game in that one, too. Again, these two teams, they show up for OU Texas. But as you can see, Tyler, I am not wearing my Beat Texas hat. And I'm not wearing my Beat Texas shirt because just doesn't feel like it's in the cards this year. Okay, before we move on, though, I got to ask you. We've talked about a bunch of different games. What is your favorite Oklahoma-Texas game from the past 20 years? 2020, the COVID year. (laughs) It's a wild year. Nobody's at the stadium. So to see this sort of four overtime magic happen with literally empty 92,000 at the Cotton Bowl was just a, a weird thing to acknowledge. 
but to watch it on television. And then I sat down where I was, got this awesome gig. Uh, I was doing instant reacts and I kept just sobbing and I was challenging the team and I was getting very upset about the team. and I was getting very upset about giving up this many points to Texas, but I was so happy to come out of that with a W and that also led to, you know, it wasn't a national championship year, wasn't a college football playoff year, but a really great year that ended with a Cotton Bowl win against Florida. And that's that felt really good. I, I got to say, the last two years, being able to win a bowl game really changes how you think about the season, Tyler. Yeah, and you bring up the COVID year. That was such a weird start to the season for every team involved and all the fans. That was the first game that felt like, normal college football or it just it was so exciting it was so fun to watch for all the fans um it's this game is one of my favorite rivalries and I don't even have a dog in the fight personally I would say the 2021 game um was my favorite just because the stakes were a little bit higher Oklahoma was ranked sixth at the time Texas was 21st I believe but before their season went off the rails they were four and one Sark's first season they come out I think they went on to a 28 to 7 lead early and you're thinking oh my god is Texas back, and then Oklahoma came back. You got the Kennedy Brooks game-winning touchdown there at the end. Just an awesome, awesome game, and uh, one I'm never going to forget. I think that was honestly the most fun game I watched all season. But Honorable mention for me, really quick, 2019 OU Texas Big 12 Championship game because Trey Brown's from Tulsa. He made an outstanding play to help seal the game, and Kyler Murray won the Heisman in that game over Texas. Doesn't really count as a Red River rivalry, but they got to play each other in the Big 12 championship game, and that's always going to feel good. Yeah, and it counts a little bit more. But let's shift here to the current Oklahoma team because you put you put the question out on Twitter, which team will end the season with a better record, Oklahoma or Notre Dame? I'll let you lead us off. It's your question. Uh, Kyler Murray was 2018, Jalen Hurts 2019. Uh, man, I don't know. Like, If you asked this three this weeks point. ago, it would be a totally know, different I, response. I, you know what? I put it out there thinking you and I, you know, we're going to have fun with this one. But now that I'm thinking about it out loud, I don't even know if Dylan Gabriel is going to be the dude against Texas. And I know that Texas smells blood in the water. The game sold out. I don't know that the offensive line. No, Wanye Morris had a doggone sling on against Texas Christian. Jalen Redmond doesn't play well. We're screwed. I don't know that I can trust the secondary at all. Billy Bowman's hurt. I don't feel good about this. And now I got Brent Venables acknowledging that Nick Evers is going to travel and he has taken snaps, but not telling me who's going to be the starter. I Notre Dame doesn't play a conference schedule. They play a quasi-ACC schedule. There's still Clemson left to play. They got BYU on Saturday. They do. Yeah? Is that what that is? They No, I'm just saying they do. They play BYU. Okay, I thought I, I was going to say, did I screw up the schedule? No, no, you're right. You're right. I'm, I'm at a loss on this one because Kansas is good. West Virginia was good enough and then prayers up for cj donaldson i want him to be able to play the rest of the year all right let me put it this way if oklahoma gets to nine wins i am happy i am happy i'm so overjoyed and that includes the bowl game i don't know if notre dame's gonna get to nine wins so i'm gonna go oklahoma what do you think 
Okay, so you're saying Oklahoma is going to finish nine and three? That's how it feels. Who's going to be the loss? It feels like, oh man, uh, Texas. Texas. T- Texas. They're due. They're so due. Like you, you thought. Think about it. The last two years, we pulled a rabbit out of our keister. Okay. Like we, we, we should, we should have never won those football games. We benched the starting quarterback and lived to tell about it. Nobody does that. We had four overtimes. We had missed field goals. We playing in a COVID year. Nah, man. Like, and then I, you still got Oklahoma State, so that could be four. Iowa State's not bad. Kansas is good. Texas Christian already mollywopped us. West Virginia, you should beat Texas Tech. I can't call it. We're just, we're, this is not good. This is not, the, the ceiling is on the floor is what it feels like. But I'm also a moment-to-moment Oklahoma fan, and I'm not putting on my analyst hat right now. It's tough, Tyler. Like, I just. Okay, so I, I get that. I'm a little bit confused because you are you don't seem very confident, but you're also saying that they're going to lose a game and then win out. So a little bit confusing. Our first response uh, comes from Absent Dad, who says Oklahoma. Um, understandable. Probably an Oklahoma fan because his bio says Just Boomer says Sooner. I yeah, love his that. bio says uh, Boomer Sooner. But let's get to our next one. This one comes from Andrew Rogers, who says uh, Notre Dame. OU is simply sliding way down. It happens sometimes, which sort of brings me to my point right now is if you had asked this question after week two when Notre Dame had lost to Marshall and Oklahoma looked really impressive, it was a no brainer that Oklahoma would finish with a better record. But if you look at it now, Notre Dame, dare I say, hot, <laughs> back-to-back wins, which is sad that I get excited about that now. But that's what happens when you lose to Marshall in Week 2. I think Notre Dame is going to finish with a better record, and I don't think they're going to get to nine wins either. I think Notre Dame is going to finish 8-4. and four. I think they beat BYU this weekend. They've got a tough, a sneaky tough game against Syracuse on the road at whatever, uh, or at the place formerly known as the Carrier Dome. And then the following week, they host Clemson. Go ahead, chalk that up as a loss now. They end the season um, here in Los Angeles against USC. And even though USC is a top 10 team, and even though Chris, who's operating the camera right now, is giving me the fight on, um, look, if Notre Dame can contain Ohio State's passing game, I don't see why they couldn't do the same to USC. And Ohio State's defense is a whole lot better than USC's. So I think Notre Dame, if they, they lose to Clemson, they'll probably drop one between Syracuse and USC. I think they'll win the rest. It's a little bit easier of a road compared to Oklahoma. So I think Notre Dame finishes eight and four. Oklahoma, that road ahead, man, is tough. Kansas is no gimme. There's not there's not one game left on the schedule for Oklahoma that I think you can chalk up as an easy win. Whereas there's like a few on Notre Dame's schedule, like Navy and UNLV. So I think it's gonna be close. Uh, I'm not gonna be super proud of it if it, they get to eight and four and we're that I get to brag about that because they win one more game than Oklahoma. But I'm sick with my Irish. I'm saying Notre Dame. You know, we don't have Marshall on the schedule, so there's that. I know. I'm you saying know, we're going to have easy wins. We're, we're, we're okay on that one. And the teams that we're losing to turn out to be good. So there's that. Uh, we play in a conference. You know, we Irrelevant. have allegiance to someone. <laughs> Pointless. And you know what? I feel better about Oklahoma getting to nine wins than I do about USC selling out the Coliseum if they're undefeated when they play Notre Dame. 
I'm saying Texas because I'm also trying to reverse jinx myself into saying, okay, cool. I feel good about Oklahoma beating Texas this weekend. And then if we beat Texas this weekend, we have beaten a team that was a one-point loss to the number one team in the country, according to the AP. And also, by all rights, should have beaten Alabama on the 40 acres. And it's as topsy-turvy as, you know, you're fighting Irish. So I think a lot is going to be said about what happens this weekend. And now that I have been challenged, I'm coming up with all these ways in which Oklahoma can win nine games and even run the table because, damn it, it's our league. We ain't left it yet. All right? I like Lance Leipold. Love Lance Leipold. Think the world of Lance Leipold. They got one loss and it's got to beat Oklahoma. That's all right. That's fine, too. Baylor. That's that. I, I got no love for Baylor. Oklahoma State, we owe. We We owe. Iowa State, you ain't been good until the last four years, and all of a sudden you got your big britches on like you want to do something. Try it. You know, Texas Tech, feel real good about beating Texas, going, get, hey, get the same L that they got from Kansas State from us. You know? All right. You know, like, it, it, it's weird. I'm a Leo. I'm a fire sign. I don't like to admit any of that. But apparently, if my, if my team gets challenged by a Notre Dame fan <laughs> – who happens to be my lead producer, then I feel much braver about saying nine, 10 wins. How does that feel to you, Tyler? It feels pretty good. Before we go here, because I know we're wrapping up, Kat, I want you to fly the tweet. RJ, I don't know if you saw this. I tweeted right before the show. I said the answer is oh, simple. Yeah. No, I, you caught it? I got you. And I got you. For- I also, uh, <laughs> I got a little bit. I got I got a little bit under, it, it got under my skin, but I got a reply in there. For anybody listening to the show, watching the show, go ahead. Check out my reply. I should put copyright underneath that. But, you know, we'll save that for another day. Okay. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks, as always, to my mailbag partner and our lead producer on the number one college football show, Tyler Wojak. Tyler, thanks, man. Of course. Thank you. All right. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly, who's out here flying the tweet. I love this. Uh, please, more flying the tweet. More poking fun at me. Um, <laughs> that is Kyle Holly directing the show. This is his show debut. I am so grateful to have him on the team. Our social media maven is Jamie Young Duncan. He's going to have a lot of fun with this. I already thought about that. Our leader screening is Rayo Chacon. And I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all Saturday night to recap the day of college football where... If it is Oklahoma with a W, you're going to want to hear what I got to say about it. And if it's Oklahoma with an L, well, we know that you're going to want to hear what I have to say about it. All right. That's it for me. Deuces.